Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us the Weekly Standard is numbers cruncher extraordinaire Jay Cost. And we needed you, Jay, because in the last 24 hours, we've had two wildly different polls. The Wall Street Journal NBC poll shows Hillary's in great shape when it comes to uh, head-to-head matchups in her own party and with the Republicans. The, in fact, she beats everyone except Ben Carson, with whom she ties. But then we had the Quinnipiac poll come out just a few hours later. She's getting beat by everybody except one Republican, and I don't want to say his name, but it rhymes for good reason with rump. So, Jay Cost, what the heck's going on out there? Well, I think there's a couple things. First of all, that that NBC News Wall Street Journal poll is not all sweetness and light for Madam Secretary. Um, if you dive into the numbers, you see her favorable rating is minus seven, I think which is statistically unchanged from where it was in the middle of the month, which suggests that she didn't get any kind of a bump for that spectacle she put on at the Benghazi hearing. So that's number one. But number two, if you drill down even deeper and look at her on, you know, does she care about people? Is she trustworthy? Her numbers on those are terrible. The only thing, only good number that she has on that front is whether or not she has the experience um, to be president. So that poll was not great for her. Yes, uh, a third, I, I, uh, a whopping one-third of respondents said they like her. A third, not a third don't like her. A third like her, and a whopping quarter of respondents said they trust her. But other than that, she's yeah. the most well, hottest commodity you know, in town. By, by the way, Michael, I'd, I'd wager that a, a half of the people who answered positively to those questions must have misheard them. Because <laughs> there is no way... I mean, good lord, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, my goodness. But well, actually, look, let's uh, I, let's uh, not to you know to, to get too profound about your your quip, but uh, you as you and I know, there's a lot of uh, partisanship in these polls. Someone asks you something about someone on your team, you're just going to give the positive answer. Period. So it's 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 honest or, or it's reasonable to say that easily half the people who claim they trust her don't. Because there are Democrats who've acknowledged uh, we are going to vote for her anyway, even though we know that she's got trustworthiness issues. So that's a good point. Uh, yeah, I, in, yeah. Joking aside, I think that's a very good point. And look, and that gets back to something that you and I t- discussed a lot, and that you know has been widely noted. That you know, look, one of the reasons why she's a lock to win the nomination isn't because she's any stronger than she was eight years ago. She's manifestly weaker. The, the difference is, is that people don't people on the Democratic side don't have a real choice. I mean, at this point, your choices are Martin, O'Ma- Martin O'Malley, Hillary Clinton and Larry Lessig. I mean, my goodness, you know, that's no choice at all. So you may, left even, out Bernie. Oh, yeah, I left out Bernie that I mean, that's no choice at all. And even with those lousy options, she's still just barely getting half the vote in on the Democratic side. So, you know, look, and I will say, too, by the way, there has been a lot of, you know, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds about the polling and the nuances of polling and stuff. But there has been some pretty persistent discrepancies in the polling on the horse race polling this year, where the NBC News Wall Street Journal poll has consistently been had more positive news for Hillary than the Quinnipiac poll or the Fox News poll or some other polls. I can't think of them off mm-hmm. the top of my head. The point, though, is and I'm not saying all oh, one is right. and One is wrong. I'm just saying that the polls, the pollsters have been in disagreement. And look, by the way, they're all measuring registered voters anyway. They're not actually measuring likely voters. So that could be a part of the difference, depending upon what actual registered voter sample they're putting together. So I, I think that a lot of a lot of times we just have to brush these off. And, and you know, look, we'll 
things will things will really heat up in the spring on the general election side of the ledger. You know, that's when we'll really see some some motion. And I I didn't check on the number in this poll, but historically, the NBC News Wall Street Journal poll has had good news for Clinton on the head to heads, but when they ask people generically, do you want a Republican or a Democrat in the White House next year, the generic number comes out basically split at 40-40. So Clinton's lead might actually be due to bad name recognition among Republican voters for the leading Republican candidates. Like Hillary Clinton's a household name, but right. people are only beginning to learn about Marco Rubio. And let's talk about the Republicans. Uh, the Quinnipiac poll, you know, uh, the head-to-head with Hillary was good, but obviously a lot of people are interested in how the GOP is doing and uh, if I check, if I remember correctly and get my numbers right here, it was uh, among Republican primary voters, Donald Trump, 24 percent, Ben Carson, 23 percent, Marco Rubio, 14 percent, Ted Cruz, 13 percent and Jeb Bush. Help! Help! Can anyone hear me up there? Help! I think I got those numbers right. Yeah, I think that's right. I think Jeb Bush, yeah, Jeb, Jeb Bush's number was actually came back in the original poll. I think it read "anxious cry for help" is what it read. So yeah, it was terrible. Look, did they, look, did, I think increasingly, you know, we had a bit of a Carly Fiorina boomlet that sort of faded. That disappoints me a little bit because she's a, I think she's a good candidate, and she was talking about cronyism, which is an issue, as you know, is right. near and dear to my heart. But <laughs> and a great uh, book that you wrote, "A Republic No More," which I recommend to everyone. Thank you very much for that. Yes, available now and fine re- <laughs> retailers everywhere. Uh, but anyway, she's sort of faded a little bit and doesn't look like she got much of a bump from the last debate. So and just the collapse on Jeff Bush has just been epic. So we're really increasingly the race is we you know, I think Bill a couple of weeks ago, Bill Crystal suggested that it was a six person race. Now it's looking like it might actually be a four person race. Carson, Trump, Rubio and Cruz. So, I mean, for how big the field is, I think the actual field is much less big if that for lack of a better. Term. I understand what you're saying, but is it possible? That, the, here's the theory that I'm hearing and, 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 and I'm looking, hoping we can get from you some actual measurable evidence as opposed to people just saying well you know historically speaking candidates like ben carson like four you know uh, uh years ago when when herman cain was the flavor of the month they tend to be resting places for votes not people's commitments for votes and there's a debate about whether donald trump is the same thing is there when you look at the polls is there any objective information that we can look at on this or should we say we're beyond that point now they like as you said there are four or five people who are serious contenders for the nomination and trump and carson are two of them well i think that we have to keep an eye i I think that trump and carson are very different from the flavors of the month from 2008 uh, neither of them is like Michelle Bachman. Neither of them is like Herman Cain. They're both better at this than either of them were. So I think we have to, you know, we have to bear that in mind. That if you just look at the way they're campaigning and look at the way they've been, you know, these are these are numbers. You know, Carson has been on the rise in the Real Clear Politics average since, you know, r- really since early August, he's just been kind of moving up and he hasn't stopped. So this is not some blip. This is, right. you know, we are now in the third month of his upward trajectory. Um, but I, I would caution against that. And I personally am not ready to lay serious odds on either of them winning the nomination because they are running campaigns that are so far 
outside the normal practice of political campaigns. And political campaigns are practiced the way they are for a good reason, because people who specialize in politics know that this is the way you win. So, for instance, with Donald Trump, I see Donald Trump, look, I see him alienating a lot of Republican voters. And I think that that alienation is going to stack up. And I don't see good numbers for him in the head-to-head races against Rubio or Cruz. Ben Carson does a lot better, and he has alienated people a lot less. But if you look under the hood at the actual mechanics of his campaign— it's not a very pretty site. His it's called his burn rate of how much money he's spent uh, is extraordinarily high, and it's not at all clear what he is spending that money on in terms of electioneering. That it looks like this is money that is being spent to raise money. Right. So I'm not really sure what the purpose over there is or what the game plan. Um, so I just I have my doubts about both of them. I think that their appeals are undeniable, but I think that their appeals are also limited. And I also just don't think they're running the sorts of campaigns because ultimately, Michael, I mean, right now we're still in kind of the pre kind of pre primary phase of things. But, you know, when we get into February, this is going to turn into a race for delegates. Right. And that's what it's going to get down to. It's going to turn into a race for delegates and it's going to turn into that sort of gritty, unglamorous math about who who has more delegates and who got these many delegates from this district and that district. And I look at Carson and Cruz and I just don't think they're ready for that. I look on the other hand, I think Rubio and and uh, excuse me, Carson and Trump. I don't think right. Carson and Trump are ready for that. Cruz is definitely getting ready for that. Definitely, without a right. doubt, is getting ready for that. What about the argument that that's exactly what Jeb Bush is doing, that he doesn't care about these polls at all and that he's got a long-term strategy, he's got the money sitting in that super PAC to, to do the job, and that he's just going to win his chunk uh, in the uh, proportional states until we get to uh, past March 1st, and everything before March, March 1st and before is proportional, and he doesn't have to have any you know, winner-take-all states until then, and he'll be one of the four or five people who think can then has the money to go winner-take-all state-by-state, pound, 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 and grind it out. <laughs> well, I would find that argument more, more persuasive if they hadn't just invented it when his poll numbers started to tank. <laughs> I mean, because, I mean, look, you know, back in, what was it? Back in, you know, July, Bush was at 18%. And even before that, in May, he was at 15%. And they were like, he's the front runner. He's going to, you know, dominate the field. And then before that, when he was getting in, it was going to be shock and awe on the fundraising. And we were going to intimidate everybody. And now what? Now the, now the strategy is like a grinded out, delegate by delegate campaign right i mean that to me is just uh, i just don't buy it and look i i think that you know you asked a moment ago about like what what exists in the data right about about trump and and and, and Cruz or trump carson. and carson um and you know look the data for them is not is not terrible um you know on terms of the polling data the polling data for jeb is just atrocious his his favorable numbers are just in terrible shape and there was an extraordinary number in the nbc news wall street journal poll they asked people could you ever see yourself voting for this person so carson got 77 percent. trump even trump got 60 percent. rubio wow. got 60 percent. cruz got 60 percent. jeb got 45 percent. that's a higher percentage that's a lower percentage than 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 anybody except like Chris Christie. And, and, and on top of that, the percentage of people saying, nope, could never vote for Jeb, 
52%, Michael. That is extra- more than half of the Republicans polled by the NBC News, Wall Street Journal poll say, nope. And, and by the way, they're saying this while they're simultaneously saying my mind isn't made up. I could change my mind. You right. never know. It's still early. But half of them are saying, nope, no chance when it comes to Jeb. So I don't know. Where do you find delegates? Do you find delegates of like, you know, non-Republican voters, I guess, is the goal. I don't know. Uh, super delegates. That's what it says. It's all going to come down to super delegates. But this is, yeah, I just, by the way, I just, but here's, just, just want to say one other thing that there's a, it's also a different climate. And I just don't, I can't believe that the Bush people don't understand this. The days of having the establishment set this thing up so that no matter what nonsense happens in Iowa, New Hampshire, you've got a firewall somewhere, South Carolina, the South, whatever, is just gone. And it's, it's gone for two reasons. One is the voters won't play anymore. As we saw last year when South Carolina went to Newt Gingrich, who everyone knew had no chance of winning the nomination. And the, the way they've handed out the delegates, they, the party, and I think wisely so, specifically made a decision that was going to let people stay in the race longer by moving the uh, winner-take-all states later. And so you could, you know, have end up as they you know, with three viable contenders all battling it out, going in with momentum into the winner-take-all states. And the only path for Jeb ever was... You don't get a choice. You're stuck with me. And that wasn't there. I just can't believe that they missed that. Yeah, I agree. The Jeb campaign, uh, I just have thought has just been a bad idea from the start. I've I've long thought that 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 he was not going to be able to win because of his last name. That mm-hmm. In this mood with the climate right. among Republicans, I mean, I think that feelings toward George W. Bush have gotten warmer as they usually do for ex-presidents. But I think at the same time, this party is just fundamentally ready to move on. And watching the iterations of the Jeb campaign and the iterations of their strategy as they come slowly to terms with that. I mean, the la- latest iteration was just mind-boggling to me where their their argument was basically, well, we're going to use the former president's bushes to go and raise money for us and then jam a bunch of money into our super PAC and then as you said, we're going to grind it out mm-hmm. by just, you know, working the rules. It's like, oh, that is a fantastic response to the ornery <laughs> mood of the Republican Party. Let's just collect anonymous million-dollar checks from mega donors for our super PACs, trade on our last name as a dynasty, and then find some hunky-dory way to manipulate the rules of the game. That's, that is just a great idea to mobilize Republicans in advance of the general election. Jay Cost, in uh, Kennebunkport, they call that populism. So just keep that in mind. So let's ra- right. let's wrap up with this. The, uh, the uh, there are two things I, that I found interesting today. One is the frustration that I had that Republicans are still fighting about debate rules, and you know they they have a they they get a good stance, they get a good win, then they kind of fumble it away. But on the flip side, somebody released a map that shows the state legislatures at, after last night's election, controlled by Republicans, split. And then controlled by Democrats and the it's a sea of red. I don't want to quote the number of legislatures. I want to say it's 37, but it's a sea of red for Republicans and a tiny, tiny little, you know, blue, you know, outcroppings. Is this a party that still has the wherewithal to be a national party and win an electoral college election? Or is this a party that's going to celebrate on odd numbered and off year elections alone? No, it's it's very much a national party. Look, and by the way, Michael, this whole idea that the odd numbered and off year elections don't count uh, is a talking point that the Democrats developed after 2010, because I'll tell you, 
before the 2010 tsunami hit, those very same Democrats were explaining how the Republicans were never going to come back because of the the how massive the party's coalition was. So the Democratic coalition. So they only invented this talking point after 2010. And by the way, if you go back to 2006 and look at the very same people who were making these arguments, after the Democrats won the midterm in 2006, they were actually arguing that the midterms were where Democrats were going to be really strong. So this argument against the Republican Party having some broader appeal shifts, and it shifts strategically so Democrats can account for their latest electoral shellacking. But look, I, more broadly, when we think about the think about presidential elections, historically, they come down to three things. They come down to the economy, they come down to war, and they come down to recession. And after uh, and there's a burden that the incumbent party has to jump. The burden is very low when they're seeking their first term. So when you you know, like, for instance, Ronald Reagan and is elected in 1980. So the party is going for its second straight term in 1984. Pretty low bar. Bar gets higher in 1988. People start looking a little more critically at the record and being a little less forgiving of economic weakness. Bar gets higher still in 1992. So what we have right now is we have a president whose job approval rating is under under 50 percent. It's about a 45 percent. We have an economy that's stuck in second gear and has been for a couple years. And now the Democrats are going to, you know, going for their third consecutive election, which is historically a very difficult thing to do. So I just don't that's none of this is to say that the Republicans are guaranteed to win, even far from it. I, in fact, I think the country is basically split down the middle, so it's a very it's very much an open question as to what's going to happen next year. But this is – what you described, this idea of the Republican Party as not being a national party, I think it is just a, a, a story that Democrats tell themselves so they can sleep at night knowing that Obama's job approval has been under 50 percent for two and a half years. <laughs> Jay Costa, perfect ending. Thanks so much for joining us for the podcast. I appreciate your time. My pleasure as always. Thank you, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.